If you want more from Dee and her sister and partner in crime, Rhonda, check out Switchblade Sisters Social Club, a true crime podcast where two sisters exploit their worst fears for your entertainment. You're welcome. You're listening to We Knew the Moon with Dee Safier, an empath who started a podcast to explore the universe, spirituality, and all things with you woo-woo. Don't forget to check out the website, weknewthemoon.co.uk for all your I do what I want and the moon made me do it merch, whichever excuse you prefer to use for all of your life choices. Hi everyone, this is Dee and this is We Knew the Moon and I'm really pleased we've got Rebecca Burgess here. Hi. So some of you might remember Rebecca from season two. She is the creatrix of the Temple of Cornwall you told us a lot about your spiritual journey and your temple and you talked about how you did the goddess training in Glastonbury so I thought the best topic to do with you was Glastonbury oh I love it I love it so I know you're going to know a lot about this and and please please (laughs) jump in with everything that you know because you know you spent a lot of time there you did the course there and I'm sure you've learned so much about all the different spiritual elements of Glastonbury. Now, for those that you are listening that aren't that familiar, we're talking about the town of Glastonbury, not Glastonbury Festival. I've never been to Glastonbury Festival, have you? Absolutely not. <laughs> Although it's not a surprise that that festival sort of sprung out from the area of Glastonbury originally, because it is a very, very special place for a lot of people of a lot of different religious beliefs spiritual beliefs and so forth. So I wanted to talk about why that is and what the different histories are that uh, converge on Glastonbury, because some might be surprised that it's a very spiritual place, a very significant place in the eyes of the church, of the Christian church. Obviously, we have a lot of um, history with uh, Celtic history and the goddess temple, so a lot of goddess worship. There's lots of different branches of people that have found their spiritual home in Glastonbury. And I regularly go there from Twickenham and I love the drive there as well, because from where I am, you drive past Stonehenge, which is gorgeous. Obviously to drive past Stonehenge is so magical, isn't it? And then from then on, it's just gorgeous countryside, cute little villages until you get to Glastonbury. So basically Glastonbury's in Somerset in the county of Somerset. Somerset is mainly very, very flat. It's very low lying. And some of it is like below sea level. It's very close to Bristol and Bath. So it's kind of West country. This, this fact surprised me. Did you know that how many people do you think live in Glastonbury? Ooh, um, I'm not good with numbers. 5,000. That seems like a lot. No, it's not that bad a guess. It's just under 9,000 people. Oh my God. I don't know whether I thought that was a lot or a little. That is a lot because I, I think a Glastonbury is just like the like three site. streets. Yeah, <laughs> like it's just Airbnbs and maybe one house. So in my head, there's actually like five residents there. <laughs> and to be honest, you know, when you drive like behind the high road and whatever, like a lot of the yeah. houses are not very nice. They're like new build and whatever. Yeah, you, they're not what you would think. Yeah, really. but, um, but yeah. Anyways, we're not selling it. (laughs) But the houses (laughs) along that go on, um, you know, on the road up to the tour are gorgeous with amazing views. So yeah, so I don't know where they, where the boundary of Glastonbury is, but 9,000 people live there. Wow. And people have lived there since the Neolithic times. Wow. So I then had to Google (laughs) (laughs) what the Neolithic times were because... 
I don't fucking know. So um, I Googled when that was, and it occurred at different times around the world. Okay. Way to make it even more confusing. Yeah. Not helpful. <laughs> yeah. So Neolithic times are uh, 10 to 8,000 BC before Christ. So that's so far away. I can't comprehend it. I, I mean, know. It doesn't even make sense. No. <laughs> Look, a long time, a long time. People have been yeah. there for ages, right? <laughs> um, Glastonbury Abbey which again, I'm not, I'm not religious. My family are Christian or Catholic, but um, my parents aren't religious and I definitely am an atheist in that sense. But Glastonbury Abbey is so magical, isn't it? So magical. It's amazing. Yeah. So whether you're, it doesn't matter what your spiritual beliefs are. It's um, mainly, well, it's, it's in ruins, isn't it? The Abbey itself is huge. It was built in 712 AD. Whoa. And when you see it, right, it's yeah, it's magnificent. And the fact that they managed to build it that long ago is it's just mind blowing. So um, if you do go to Glastonbury, don't write off the Abbey just because you're not religious, you're not Christian, you're not Catholic, whatever. It's so worth a visit. Yeah. If it helps anyone at all, it's nestled into the yoni of the landscape goddess. Oh, is it? Yeah, so it's a, it's a very feminine church, shall we say. <laughs> is it? Yeah, I get it definitely have that vibe. And I love the kitchen because they've preserved or renovated the kitchen. Yeah. Which is a separate building to the Abbey. And it's just really cute, you know, and a really nice insight is into how yeah. things might have been around that time. When the first time I went to the Abbey and I walked into the kitchen, there was a group of people um, having their packed lunch there, about eight or 10 people Aww. having their packed lunch, just <laughs> sitting around in the kitchen building. But they were all wearing little fairy ears. Even cuter. I know. You had me at packed lunch. That made me quite giddy. <laughs> I know. It was just like so Glastonbury and it was so adorable. <laughs> yeah. Last time I went there, which was a, a week or so ago now, there was a woman singing in there. And I never mm. realized how beautiful the acoustics are in that kitchen. It was proper like um, monastic sort of chanting she was doing. Oh, lovely. Hearing that in a feminine voice was amazing. Glastonbury also has the spiritual pagan background as well which I'll talk about and which, to be honest, we are quite interested in more so probably. <laughs> but the Christian background in Glastonbury is fascinating as well. Like I didn't know this. I, Joseph of Arimathea, that's how I'm going to pronounce it. I'm going to say it with confidence. Like that's for sure how you pronounce it. <laughs> but is it? Do you know any different? I, I never know whether the way I say it is right. So I would say Joseph of Arimathea, but that sounds like a medical condition or like some <laughs> sort of thing you'd get done to you. Like I'm going in for an Arimathea. So I'm not sure that's right. <laughs> okay, Arimathea. Joseph of Arimathea, he was Jesus's great uncle, Mary's uncle. I didn't know that. I didn't realize. I knew he was one of Jesus's followers. I didn't realize they were that closely related. And he is supposed to be the first person that brought Christianity to the UK. I was doing math in my head and trying to work out how long people lived back in the day because I was thinking, so Jesus died when he was about 33, but his great uncle was still alive when at a time when people <laughs> didn't live that long. And then after Jesus died, this great uncle then went to the UK. <laughs> yeah, I've never thought about that. That doesn't. But then also people had their kids younger. So his great uncle might have been just like 10 years older than him <laughs> or maybe younger than him. Who knows? Because people also had a lot of kids, didn't they? Yeah. So, yeah, I got befuddled by the math as I want to do. But yeah, so basically he was related to Jesus. And the story is that after Jesus got 
crucified. Joseph was sent to the UK to spread Christianity. He traveled with either vials of Jesus's sweat, vials of Jesus's blood, Jesus, the chalice, uh, the Holy Grail, and he probably definitely had his lucky staff, like his walking stick. Um, So there's lots of rumors about what he actually came with. The thought is that he might have, before uh, Jesus died, when Jesus was a teen, he might have brought Jesus to the UK on a trip, which was possible. People were doing it. They think that he might have brought Jesus to the UK, that they might have landed in Cornwall and gone via St. Michael's Mount and visited Glastonbury, which is interesting because I'm going to talk to you about ley lines later. Yes. And um, St. Michael's Mount is on supposedly on the same ley line as Glastonbury. No one's proved whether Jesus came with him at any point or whether he came at all, really, Joseph of Arimathea. But it's thought when he arrived in Glastonbury, he stuck his staff in the ground and it flowered into the Glastonbury thorn. And there's still some of this being grown in um, at the Glastonbury Abbey. This is said to be a type of hawthorn tree that only grows within a few miles of Glastonbury. Wow, I never knew that. Isn't that so cute? So you can go and see the tree outside. um, I forget the name of the little church. When you go into Glastonbury Abbey, the grounds, there's a little church to the side of it. And um, the tree is there. And that supposedly sprouted from this staff that Joseph of Arimathea had. And it flowers twice annually, once in spring and again around Christmas time, which I think is unusual for plants. I don't know much about plants, yeah, but for the flower. Hawthorne. Yeah, hawthorn's usually like May time, isn't it? Yeah. And then each year, a sprig of this thorn is cut by the local Anglican vicar and the eldest child from St. John's School and sent to the Queen. Oh, <laughs> like, horrible. I mean, there's a lot of stuff in there that I find problematic, but I still find that a super cute ritual. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So then we enter the territory of the Holy Grail and what that was and Mm. so forth. You know, we all know Dan Brown and the Da Vinci Code. So some people thought that the Holy Grail was Jesus's offspring. Mm. Some thought it was the cup. Well, the official line, I think, is that it's the cup used at the Last Supper that Jesus drank from. Mm. And that potentially it had some of Jesus's blood in it. Word on the street is that Joseph of Arimathea arrived in Glastonbury, stuck his staff in the ground, this Glastonbury hawthorn grows, and that he had with him the the Holy Grail, which was this chalice from the Last Supper, and that he buried it either at the base of the tour, some people think in the chalice well, which I'll talk about later, and that basically it's the entrance to the underworld now. Ooh, I have heard that, yeah. Mm. So Joseph built a church in Glastonbury. This is the little church. The the original church is the little church at the entrance of um, the Glastonbury Abbey. I'm going to Google St. Joseph's Chapel. (laughs) That makes sense. It does. (laughs) It's when you you first walk into the grounds, it's a tiny little church um, with a tree outside. And it's worth popping in. And this is the church that... Joseph set up originally again thought to be not only the first church in the UK but it's actually thought to be possibly the first church in the world wow so you know that's quite impressive that's very impressive I'm going to fast forward a little bit now we know a little bit about the reformation 
<laughs> I mean, I know a very little bit about the Reformation is what I'm trying to say, but you know that this country was essentially Roman Catholic, the majority of it, and King Henry VIII had issues with the Pope, wanted to do his own thing in a lot of th- ways, wanted to get divorced, wanted to not have all of his like rules and laws dictated by the Pope. And so he decided to um, start the Church of England, which was based on Protestant beliefs more than Catholicism. Catholicism is like quite strict, you know, <laughs> like <laughs> I always think of Church of England and Protestants, you know, and, and a lot of those um, branches of Christianity is like the kind of easier versions yeah. <laughs> where you can do more things. <laughs> yeah. That's my uh, religious education for you. <laughs> They're playing it on hard mode, isn't it? Catholicism. Like hard mode Christianity. <laughs> exactly. And like in Protestantism, 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 I'm going to leave all of that in. <laughs> You've got like the high church and the lower church and the high church, I believe, is much more like Catholicism, you know, more of the pomp and ceremony. And then you've got different branches, which are much more low key. So, you know, a lot of these big abbeys, monasteries, priories, they all really struggled because suddenly they were... A, I'm not feeling sorry for them, but they were the large landowners. They were quite often the ones that ran the schools. They were like basically local government. And suddenly they were the enemy. And King Henry VIII was confiscating a lot of their lands and giving them to his friends and new nobles that he was creating left, right and center. And and if you were opposed to that, quite often you would get beheaded or imprisoned. So wasn't an easy time for the little Catholic monks all over the place. And the same thing happened at the Abbey. So in 1539, the last abbot of the the Glastonbury Abbey, so I guess the head honcho, he was executed with two of his monks on the Glastonbury tour. Um, When you get closer to Glastonbury, you suddenly see the Glastonbury tour, which is this gorgeous hill. And on top of it, there is um, the remnants of a church. I'll talk a bit more about it later. But it's a um, a lovely hill to go climbing on. It's just outside the town centre. But it has a sticky past because these three monks, well, the abbot and these two monks, were taken to the top of the tour. And Thomas Cromwell, who we know as King Henry VIII's bitch, until... <laughs> he totally was. <laughs> he really was. Until, like so many others, King Henry VIII turned on him too. So he ordered some lackeys to go to Glastonbury Abbey because they were convinced that people were, that the abbots and the monks were hiding treasure there, but they didn't find anything. So they accused the abbot and some of the monks of robbing the church of its supposed riches. And so that's why they executed them. They were dragged by horses to the top of the tour and hanged, drawn and quartered. Uh, Whiting's head was fastened over the west gate of the now deserted abbey and his limbs exposed at Wells, Bath, Ilchester, and Bridgewater, which are surrounding areas, as a kind of warning. He really traveled. Probably more so in death than in life. But that's (laughs) awful, isn't it? That's just horrible. Next time I'm up meditating on the tour, I'm going to be. You're going to think about that, aren't you? So then from the 1700s onwards, uh, they drained the moors around the town. There was a lot more wetland around, which would get flooded. So it would give this appearance of, you know, um, the tour being an island. And um, but they drained it because they wanted to develop the trade and the economy around there. And it meant more farming land and easier to travel around that area and transport things and so forth. There was a main train line 
into Glastonbury because one of the things I think helps keep it special is that it's quite inaccessible um, unless you have a car. So unless you're middle class, you can't really go there. (laughs) Yeah, so it used to have a train line which closed in 1966 because by that point the trade was decreasing in the area. (laughs) So we drained it to increase the trade 1700s and then 1966 the train line shut because the trade was pretty much done and I think like I don't know much about the trade and the economy in Glastonbury itself at the moment but I imagine most of the people living there are involved in the tourism in some way either the shops or the tours or the you know the sites yeah you would think I'm not sure what else is I mean there's only 9,000 of them and there's loads of sites and <laughs> you know it's a couple hundred at each one yeah but... <laughs> or something spiritual because lots of people go to Glastonbury for different treatments yeah. and so forth so 19th and 20th century they developed a lot of tourism based around the abbey and based around mysticism because those two things were kind of growing at the same time and this I found really interesting right again not religious but I do quite like the hymn Jerusalem because I'm from Jerusalem and it's about making England as amazing as Jerusalem, which like, haha, just you try it. But <laughs> I'm joking. We have brutal military occupation. You don't want that here. But it was written by one of my favorite poems, William Blake. Love him. I love him. I love him so much. But it's, um, it's basically about Joseph of Arimathea coming to the UK and possibly about Jesus coming with Joseph to Glastonbury. So the lyrics are, some of the lyrics are, I will not cease from mental fight, nor shall my sword sleep in my hand till we have built Jerusalem in England's green and pleasant land. So I like that. It's lovely. But as I mentioned, we don't just have that strong Christian background in Glastonbury but you have a a bunch of other religions there as well. So for such a small town, as we said, it's a really small town, it's got such a diverse range of religions. We've got their Puritans, undetermined Protestants, Quakers, (laughs) Independent, Baptists, Presbyterians, Congregationalists, Wesleyans, Primitive Methodists, Salvationists, Plymouth Brethren, Jehovah's Witnesses, and Pentecostals, name a few. The Glastonbury Order of Druids. Do you want to take a guess what year the Glastonbury Order of Druids was formed? Ooh. I'm going to say 1988. No, is that right? Yes. Oh my God. <laughs> that was a complete guess. I'm so freaked out. See, because. When I read that day, I was like, what? I would have thought they were there for like hundreds of years. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, that's when they officially formed. You also have Sufism, which is one that I don't know very much about, but it's been there for a very long time as well. And they have Zikirs, which I think are their gatherings, um, that are held weekly in private homes. And on the first Sunday of every month, they have a Zikir at St. Margaret's Chapel in Magdalen Street, one of the main streets in the town centre. And there's a Sufi shop there, charity shop. It was opened by Sheikh Nazim, who I think is a high up person in Sufism, who said of Glastonbury when he visited the Abbey, this is the spiritual heart of England. It is from here that the spiritual new age will begin and to hear that Jesus will return. Wow. So again, some of it, I believe, less than 
the other part of it. But I do believe in the sentiment that it is. Can you explain that feeling when you get to Glastonbury? Yeah, it is. It's difficult to describe, isn't it? Like to put it into words. It's so. I can remember the first time that I went there was for my honeymoon, actually, which I kind of forgot I had there. There was a lot of things going on in my life at that time, but everything just melts away. Everything that doesn't serve you and your purpose, whether you can name your purpose or not, but anything that doesn't serve that just kind of fades away. It kind of turns into white noise and then dust and then it's gone. Yeah. Like I go there so regularly because I feel like it clears my head Mm. and just helps me get a bit of perspective. One of my favorite shops there is called the Wonky Broomstick. Oh, it's beautiful. No, it's just so cute. And they have a dog there called Toby, who I just love. He's like, I think some kind of collie. And yeah, it's just lovely. Obviously a million different crystal shops and spiritual gift shops and, you know, essential oil places. I mean, just bookshops where you could just... (gasps) The bookshop. Oh my God. I can't. And the restaurants are amazing too. Lots of different vegetarian and vegan options which is nice because I'm vegetarian the pagan Glastonbury goddess temple which uh, was founded in 2002 now this building I know is special to you it's I feel like it's very special for me as well and it was registered as a place of worship the following year so it's official place of worship according to the government I don't know what that means it's like a really unassuming you wouldn't look at it yeah unassuming unassuming building let's say yeah it, I mean, it almost has school hall vibes on the inside, right? It's not a very, um, it's like a modern building. It's, it's, it's in one of the most, the cutest little courtyards in Glastonbury, for sure. It's up some little stairs and inside, it's nothing special, the, the hall itself, but they've made it super special. You've mm-hmm. got an altar to the goddess and regardless of what you believe, it's such a lovely place to just go and sit and chill. Pre-corona, I noticed they took them away during the pandemic, but pre-corona, there was loads of things you could play with, like different tarot and oracle decks and stuff. So you can do yourself a little reading. You can get a blessing from one of the, there's, there'll always be a priest or priestess sitting there watching. It's so, so relaxing. Like I've taken such like a myriad of people there in the past, all, all for their first time. And it's so beautiful to kind of, witness them being held in that space for the first time because for most of them it's their first experience of a physical temple energy and what's really interesting is about a month ago I took one of my dear priestess sisters Jane to experience the temple for the first time and she's very kind of movement based with her meditation so I could see her you know really channeling something from the heart really receiving something beautiful and then about a week ago I took my twin flame who we're we're friends it's not a romantic twin flame thing but he's obviously my masculine counterpart and I took him and he's, whilst he is spiritual, he's very masculine with the spirituality, if that makes sense. Yeah. And it was really interesting to see what it was like for him to kind of attempt to surrender into that very feminine space. You could almost see the fear in his eyes, but the beauty in hers. It's very interesting to see the two different reactions to it. And I like the phrase surrender yourself to it because that's what it feels like. You mm. go in there, you sit and you just have to still your mind and it happens so easily in that place more so than the other places it's like it's so easy to sit there and just be for quite a long time (laughs) because it's (laughs) such and so that's where the course you did was linked to wasn't it yeah yeah we studied in there and there's the Avalon rooms next door which are connected to it yeah which are lovely yeah so in April 2012 Glastonbury had around 70 different faith groups wow which again (laughs) it's not that big 
So <laughs> it's quite impressive. <laughs> There's got to be about five people of each different faith. Yeah, I know. <laughs> <make up> numbers. <laughs> yeah. And um, and I imagine there's some crossover as well because yeah there's bound to be you know I'll just go to this one because they have the best food and you know (laughs) that'd be me (laughs) that would be me (laughs) my friends in this one and we like hanging out and you know (laughs) that lady always has the really nice teas (laughs) the other thing that I uh, found quite surprising or interesting was that Glastonbury has a particular significance for members of the Baha'i faith the Baha'i faith I don't know very much about except that Haifa they have a Baha'i temple which I've always loved. I'm going to share my screen so you can see it. I know very little about the religion itself, but look at this. <gasps> wow. But wow. that's the Mediterranean there. So I've always just loved this temple. I always thought people that make something so beautiful can't be bad, right? Exactly. <laughs> I mean, I know that's not really how the world works, but no. you know. I like to think it's true. Yeah. <laughs> I know it's an international religion, the Baha'i faith. I thought it was quite interesting. Basically, Wellesley Tudor Pole, who is the founder of the Chalice Well Trust, was one of the earliest and most prominent adherents to the Baha'i. And also, I think we, we covered her on past episodes, but Dion Fortune lived there. She was the famous British occultist, partly best known for uh, forming a spiritual front against the Nazis. Yeah, I heard about that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I will talk more about the Chalice Wells in a bit because it's one of my favorite places there. And I know that you love it as well. Absolutely. But first I want to talk about there's just so much that happens in and around Glastonbury because now I want to talk about King Arthur. Yes. A lot of us have grown up on his stories, on the stories about King Arthur and his court and so forth and the sword and stone and all of this. It's not actually proven whether he existed or not, which is quite impressive considering how many sites are attributed to him. You know, like Tintagel. Am I saying Tintagel? Tintagel. Tintagel. Tintagel (laughs) Castle, where he was supposedly born, right? Glastonbury is where he's supposedly been buried. One of the many places where it's rumored he's buried anyways. So yeah, it's quite impressive that we associate all these different places with him and we don't even know if he exists or not. And it almost doesn't even matter anymore, does it? Whether he's real or not. He's so much a part of like the spiritual zeitgeist that it's almost irrelevant. So he's also known as Arthur Pendragon. And it was, his story was set in the Dark Ages and there's little evidence left from that time, which is why we have real difficulty proving whether he was uh, real or whether it was just, you know, how people were very story-based whether it was just a folklore that just lasted until now. To put it in perspective, the Dark Ages is basically um, the time after the Romans left left Britain. That's what we think of as the Dark Ages. So there's no concrete evidence that he ever really existed, but he featured in a lot of books. Um, For example, he featured in the History of the Kings of Britain by Geoffrey of Monmouth in 1138. That's the first reference of him in a book. He was a great warrior who defended Britain from human and supernatural enemies, (laughs) which I love. And he was supposedly the one that defeated the Saxons and established a vast empire. Later on, the story of Lancelot and the Holy Grail were attributed to this time period as well. But (laughs) I thought this was funny. Some people speculated that the connection between King Arthur and, and Queen Guinevere, you know, the connection with them and Glastonbury, was created deliberately by the monks in 1184 to help meet a financial crisis caused by a devastating fire. 
So basically to promote tourism and, <laughs> and gifts and so forth. No. That wouldn't surprise me. As horrifying as that is, I'm like, that exactly. badly. <laughs> so they had a, a fire. And then in 1191, the monks at Glastonbury Abbey claimed to have found the graves of Arthur and Guinevere underneath the abbey. So you can see when you when you walk around the mm-hmm. abbey, you can see a little marker where they supposedly found their tombs. Many scholars suspect that this was a pious forgery, which I like that phrase, pious forgery. <laughs> it's a great band name, isn't it? To substantiate the antiquity of Glastonbury's foundation and increase its renown. So basically to make Glastonbury more famous. That's genius. Hashtag <laughs> tomb find. <laughs> Hashtag bias forgery. <laughs> so the other thing is when you go around Glastonbury, you see loads of signs and mentions of Avalon. And so it can be not immediately clear what the hell Avalon is but it's what the area was known as round about this time of King Arthur. To make it even more confusing, it was known as the Isle of Avalon, because as I mentioned, it was watery. The Tor and some of the surrounding areas were actually, in some part of the year, during some parts of the year, they were an island. Avalon has been definitely identified as Glastonbury and Somerset. One of the translations of Avalon in Celtic legends is the Isle of Glass. You could just, you could picture it, can't you? So now I'm going to talk about ley lines. Yes. (laughs) So ley lines are some of the most bonkers things you can read about, aren't they? Oh, the more and more I research them, the more, oh, sorry, the less and less I actually know about them. I have so many more questions. (laughs) And like, I flip between thinking, oh, there's something in this to what utter bullshit. (laughs) Several times within a sentence when I'm reading about ley lines. So Glastonbury is thought to hold a few of these ley lines and to be a place where lots of these ley lines cross. And this is why it's so spiritual and why anyone with any faith or spirituality or religion is drawn to it because it's so magical. So ley lines, what the fuck are they? You might be asking. They're straight lines drawn between various buildings, structures, landmarks, places. And it's thought that that means that those places have a connection. Now, obviously, people that don't believe it think, well, you can just draw a line and, you know, and you'll find lots of points on this line. I've got here the St. Michael's Ley. This is one of the main ley lines. I love that one. Yeah, I live just off it. Do you? Yeah. So so it goes through Cornwall. I think it starts at St. Michael's Mount and goes through Cornwall, Glastonbury, just north of London and ends in Great Yarmouth. You know, and along those points, there are many, many significant sites for many different religions and so forth. You get lots of pilgrims traveling along ley lines. You find them all over the place, across Europe, going towards Jerusalem, around Jerusalem, lots of different religions. They might call them different things, but they believe in these paths or these roots, these very spiritual roots. So the idea was developed in early 20th century Europe arguing that that people deliberately built structures along these lines. So our predecessors might have used these lines to find the points to build things like Stonehenge. Stonehenge is another thing on this ley line that I've just shown you that I will post as well, as opposed to the non-believers who think, well, you just draw a line on a map and it will go through several points. You know, I could I could look at a map and and make my own ley line in quotation marks. So there's a lot of debate around it and there's no sort of evidence (laughs) as such. But then we're talking about spirituality and religion and so forth. So 
sometimes you're not going to have hard facts and scientific evidence to prove it right or wrong. But ley lines, like I said, they do come up in other religions. So they follow the idea of feng shui, the concept of beneficial alignment. And for example, the Aboriginal uh, cultures have song lines, which are similar, these lines that have spiritual importance. Do you want to know an interesting fact or fact in quotation marks about ley lines that I learned the other day? So I did with my red tents, I either do a different divine feminine archetype every month or a different goddess. And when I was researching for Bloodwood's red tent, I discovered, sorry, no, Ellen of the Ways, sorry, not Bloodwood's, Ellen of the Ways. I was doing some research and they think, when I say there's evidence, again, quotation marks, there's evidence that ley lines, at least in the Celtic sense, are used as like shamanic pathways that you know the shamans of the tribes and the the villages they would astral project whatever you want to call it and use these ley lines and the landscapes upon them so like um you know stonehenge glastonbury tour st michael's mount they would use those as kind of signposts yeah so how to get where they need to go and how to come back with the information i thought it was really fascinating oh, that's so but yeah it's just another one of those things that pops up in a lot of different cultures isn't it and mm. a lot of different beliefs and religions I always think there must be something in it if if all of these independent groups over different times have come up with a similar conclusion. Yeah, I totally think that. Yeah, if enough people who have no contact with each other believe something, there's, there's something there. Yeah, and at yeah. the very least, there are for sure some areas where you just feel more connected with the divine or with God or whatever your belief is, right? There's some areas where you just feel it more. yeah. So the Glastonbury tour, um, there's some confusion sometimes. The Glastonbury tour, as we mentioned, it's the hill that you see really close to the town center. And um, again, it's kind of like that, like we said, like you just mentioned, signpost that you're nearly at Glastonbury. When you go around, there's one specific corner that we drive around on the A road. And then all of a sudden you could see the tour. The tour is not the, the structure on top of the hill. Mm. So I know sometimes people get confused. The tour is 158 meters above sea level. When you look at the tour, you can see how it, it could be confused as sort of being an island, this island of Avalon, because sometimes in the winter, the moors flood again and it looks like an island again. I'd love to go see that. Yeah, on my bucket list. Definitely. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and the tour, again, there's something special about this hill. It's just a hill. <laughs> We've seen loads of hills, but for some reason, there's loads of stories and loads of different um, from loads of different cultures and backgrounds about this one hill. It's also known as Inis Ir Afalon. I never knew how to pronounce that. Thank you. I mean, you I just wouldn't... read it funny in your head. You're like, oh, I'll, I'll never yeah. say that aloud. It's fine. <laughs> There's like not enough vowels. So that's the Welsh for the Isle of Avalon. Because we're very close to the Welsh border, obviously, yeah. um, in the West Country. In the 19th century, there was a resurgence of interest in Celtic mythology. And the tour became associated with Gwyn Ap Nud. Ooh, I am know. I saying that I, right? I, I think you are. I, I, I would say well, that's how I would say it. <laughs> well, I want to do an episode just on this guy because he sounds so fascinating. Win Apnut was the first lord of the other world, also known as Anun. Later, he was also known as the king of the fairies. Mm-hmm. So the tour became the um, started to represent the entrance to Anun, the other world, the underworld, and the land of the fairies. Because, you know, we think of fairies as being cu- quite cute, but they're, they're not traditionally, are they? They're No. 
mischievous little evil fuckers. So it makes you can't sense. Let them hear you say that. <laughs> no, I know. I love them, but I love them for that. I don't like the cute fairies. I like the kind of fairies. Yeah. <laughs> the tour is supposed to be the gateway to the land of the dead. And if you remember from our story about Joseph of Arimathea, it's where the Holy Grail, this chalice, was supposedly buried to guard the entrance to the, the other world. For a long time, there's been a church on top of the tour. Originally, it was a wooden church, and it was destroyed by an earthquake in 1275. Oh. I know. We don't have very many earthquakes oh. in the UK, and we laugh when we get them because they're normally like earthquake in Huddersfield knocked two tiles off of a roof you know (laughs) I mean I guess it was a wooden church Mm. then the church of a stone church was built the church of St Michael was built on the site in the 14th century and what we see now is actually just the remains of a single tower of that church the tower has been restored and renovated and rebuilt a couple of times and again, it's obviously it's a church tower, but you get everyone going up with that tour, don't you? And everyone thinking of it as a special place. I mean, it, it's it's amazing because you go up there for a start. It's a great view of the area. Yeah. And again, it just feels so magical, doesn't it? Really does. Really does. It's so timeless, isn't it? Like the yeah. time fades away up there. This is something else that I would love to see. Maybe Maybe it happens when the moors are flooded and you're up there. But there is a visual effect called a Fata Morgana. Have you ever heard of this? No. So it is taken from the name Morgan Le Fay, who is a powerful witch. She is a bit of an enemy in the King Arthur, Queen Guinevere story. Um, I haven't touched on her in this because there's just so much. There's so many stories around King Arthur. But they named this special effect after her because she was this witch, this sorceress. And it's an optical illusion, which makes it look like when the ground around the tour is low lying and damp, the light refracts and it makes things look like they're either flying or changing shape. But you also get it on the coast. So here's a picture that I found. Oh, wow. Oh, it'd be amazing to see that with the tour. It looks like this picture I'm going to share. It looks like there's this sort of huge boat, like a tanker. And it looks like it's floating above the water, but it's just a visual effect because the light has been refracted by the water in the area. And this happens on the tour and therefore was named after the witch of the area, which I thought was really fun. (laughs) Okay, now I'm going to talk about the wells. Yes. Every bit of research I was doing on this, I was like, oh my God, I love every part of it. (laughs) So if you go to Glastonbury, it is worth just going just a little bit outside of the immediate center to the Chalice Well Gardens, because they are honestly like the most peaceful gardens I've ever been to. The name implies that there's water there. Um, There is, there's the Chalice Well, (laughs) which is a holy well, and it's at the foot of the tour. So basically, if you wanted to walk from the town center up the tour, you would pass Chalice Well Gardens pop in there, have a look at the chalice well. Um, It's covered by a well cover with this gorgeous um, wrought iron design on it, which is very symbolic of Glastonbury. It's the Vesica Pisces, isn't it? Is it? Is that what it's called? Yeah. It's the divine masculine and feminine. I'm holding now a bottle because when you go to the chalice well, you can buy a bottle with the logo and everything on it and you can fill up um, from one one of the springs 
So you've got one spring at the bottom, which is this gorgeous fountain. Then you go up a bit and you've got one that's for healing. It's got a lot of um, iron in it and it's supposed to be very good for healing. And you can take your shoes off and walk through the, the spring. And then you go a bit further up and you have the one where you can actually drink from. The natural spring has been in almost constant use for almost two, for at least 2000 years. Wow. Which is quite impressive. And even when there's a drought, it still runs. So again, high iron oxide deposits give the water a reddish hue. The springs are thought to be like the springs, the hot springs in Bath, which is very close nearby. They're thought to possess healing qualities. The well at the top of the gardens, where you see this gorgeous well cover with the the lovely design on it, it's about nine feet deep and it's got two underground chambers at the bottom. Ooh, I'd love to go there, wouldn't you? Oh, yes, here. It's often portrayed as a symbol of the female aspect of deity with the male symbolized by Glastonbury Tor. That's cute. And the well is very popular with all faiths. Some people believe that the Holy Grail is inside the well as opposed to under the Tor. And it's became a world peace garden in 2001. Oh, that doesn't surprise me. No. Down the side road next to Chalice Well Gardens, you've got the White Spring. And I now understand why it's known as the White Spring. Because in the Chalice Well Gardens, the spring there has got a reddish tint because of the iron. But the White Spring, it's a Victorian uh, water house, whatever they're called. And inside, it takes a while for your your eyes to get accustomed, doesn't it? Because you go in pitch black and then suddenly you see like little candles and you realize there's like a fountain, an indoor fountain. And the whole place is really damp. The sound is amazing in there. You often hear people going there and chanting and so forth. And there's lots of little places to sit. Lots of people bathing inside this indoor fountain, sometimes with no clothes on. Because I walked in once, my <laughs> eyes adjusted, and right in front of me was a vagina. I've been <laughs> one of those people. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. <laughs> but just be aware that that might happen. Yeah, do not drink that water. We'll say. <laughs> now, because that is known as the White Spring, because it's got a high level of calcite in it. I didn't know. No. Nor do I know what that means for water, except that it might make it a bit (laughs) white. And then some people think of the chalice well as the male spring and the white spring as the one having female qualities. So lots of different beliefs. Both of them, they spring from underneath the tor. And again, both of them are thought to have healing qualities. I really love the white spring as well, don't you? I think it's my favourite. If I had to pick one between the two, it'd be the white spring. It's just so phenomenal in there. I don't really know how to describe it, but it's just otherworldly. It is otherworldly for sure. It's just, those are the main Glastonbury sites and landmarks and attractions and reasons why I love it. And I think you also love it for similar reasons. So I just wanted to end with some fun Glastonbury facts. So are you ready? So ready. There's a Glastonbury, Connecticut, founded in 1693. So, you know, that's New England area. So that's for sure going to be descendants of people from Glastonbury, which I thought was quite fun. That's cool. If you've been to Glastonbury or you know Glastonbury, this next fun fact will not be a surprising fact. Glastonbury received national media coverage in 1999 when cannabis plants were found in the town's floral displays. (laughs) I didn't know that. No, but are you surprised? Absolutely not. No. (laughs) There were rumors, a myth, that there was a zodiac landscape around Glastonbury. Have you heard about this? I have. I've um, 
I went to a ceremony uh, where that woman who created that Glastonbury Zodiac used to live. And it's, yeah, I don't know much about it, but I'm fascinated by it at the same time. <laughs> yeah, and I started trying to read about it and getting a bit confused. And basically, there's this belief that there are the constellation and zodiacs, um, the constellations are represented on the land in some way, with Glastonbury as the kind of centre, but it's been disproven, but then it's been proven by other people in quotation marks. So I just got a bit confused, but there's some people that believe that the constellations are reflected in the landscape. There are two doctor surgeries in Glastonbury. That's a lot. (laughs) There's a St. Patrick Chapel in Glastonbury because St. Patrick is also thought to have visited, which means that Irish pilgrims also come to the area. Oh, And the first Glastonbury Festival, which, you know, we've not talked about Glastonbury very much at all. Um, It's just outside Glastonbury. It started, I believe, in the 70s. Oh, yep. It was the first festival was very small scale. It was held in 1970 with an audience of only 1,500. They were charged one pound for the ticket. Imagine. And it included free milk from the farm. (laughs) It was headlined by T-Rex and it started the day after Jimi Hendrix died. Oh my God. Oh no. But I was talking to a friend of mine who um, had used to go to Glastonbury, I think in the sort of eighties and they bought tickets and so forth. And then the following year they were like, well, fuck buying tickets. Cause there's no fences around. We can just walk in. Cause that's what people used to do. Amazing. And um, yeah. But then that year they put fences up. Oh no. <laughs> no. <laughs> so another fun fact, <laughs> one year there was a murder trial in London Sorry, (laughs) I promise it gets fun, but it was put on hold because one of the jurors was allowed time out in order to attend the festival. That's how fucking hard it is to get tickets this now. I mean, it's ridiculous, isn't it? Getting Glastonbury tickets, people sit online waiting for the the ticket sales to open up and just refresh, refresh, refresh. And I think there's limits how many you can buy. And Mm. it's like it's like a new piece of folklore, isn't it? In like English, um, like literature canon, it's just how quickly can I get these mythological tickets that don't really exist? Like, I know. <laughs> I don't think, I've never seen one. I don't think they exist. <laughs> and so many of the things that I love about Glastonbury make it so inappropriate for a festival. <laughs> like how damp yeah. it is, you know? <laughs> you always see these pictures of Glastonbury, don't you? Of everyone just like literally swimming in mud, which is just... Literally. Yeah. yeah, like backstrokes, everything. <laughs> so my final fun fact about Glastonbury is that Paul proposed to me there. Oh, <laughs> yeah. At the King Arthur pub, um, which is a lovely pub with a lovely pub garden and music venue in the back, which I think that's where you were going to go recently, wasn't it? It was. Yes. Go see Cam yeah. Cole. Yeah. We didn't know the bands that were playing, but we just wanted to go see some live music and we were there. And then we were watching a band called Doomicidal. And then next thing I know, Paul's not at my side. He's on stage with Doomicidal and he's proposing. Oh, on stage as well. God, that must have been so nerve wracking for him. I mean, there was 11 people Uh. in the audience. (laughs) (laughs) But he's, for him, that was a big deal. So it meant a lot, you know. I'm a lot more extroverted, so I would happily just go on stage for like no reason. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But for him, I know that was, you know, (laughs) yeah, two two fire signs here like so. (laughs) But yeah. yeah. (laughs) Um, And then... The next day, we went to the goddess temple and we had the high, um, the priestess that was there do a little ceremony and bless our union, Aww. which was so lovely. And then by coincidence, 
this was like one of those moments where you're like, oh my God, um, that priestess started following my Instagram for the podcast. Oh, amazing. <laughs> Just randomly. Oh. And I was like, I remember you. She's oh. like, I remember you too. And I was like, mm, do you? But whatever, it means, it means a lot to me. So then we went from that uh, blessing to the tattoo parlor to get a tattoo. Oh, oh awesome. <laughs> That's the logo. The pub logo. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> Which is like, it's it's the King Arthur pub. So it's like King Arthur's crown yeah. and it's got little hearts on it. So, oh. you know, it just, it kind of symbolizes quite a lot of the different things that I loved from that little outing in Glastonbury and so forth. So, um, yeah, it's very special. Oh. But when I, when I tell people that story that, that Paul proposed to me in Glastonbury, people misunderstand and think that he got on stage at Glastonbury Festival. Oh, Lord. That's a very different vibe. Very different. <laughs> I would not have appreciated that. <laughs> See, I would. As Leo, I'm like, I want everyone to know. <laughs> Maybe I would have. No, I don't know. I suppose it depends what band was playing. Yeah, true. Do you yeah. know what I mean? If it was like, a, if it was I want to say Tori Amos. I don't know. <laughs> For Tori Amos, I'd be like, oh my God, that's amazing. <laughs> if it was like Jay-Z or, or some other random band that now regularly attends Glastonbury yeah. and plays at Glastonbury I, I would be like yeah I'd be annoyed that they dragged me to that one I'm like but there's this awesome little indie band playing like why am yeah. I here <laughs> I'd rather see anyone else yeah. <laughs> oh no I, that to be fair I think a Jay-Z concert would be quite fun oh yeah well anyways that's my Glastonbury talk what do you think I loved it I think there's so much there that I didn't know doesn't doesn't that make you want to go like I know, now? I know. So next podcast episode, Rebecca, you are going to be presenting your topic, which you're not going to tell me yet. It's going to be a little surprise for me and everyone else. Thank you all for listening. And thank you, Rebecca, for listening to me talk a lot. (laughs) Thank you for teaching me more about Glastonbury. It's been very educational. All right. See you next time. Bye. Bye. If you want lots more fun, moon info, and all things spiritual, plus our merch shop, please visit our website, weknewthemoon.co.uk. And if you want even more, head over to our Patreon page, patreon.com forward slash we knew the moon and check out some of our bonus content. We're also on Facebook and Instagram at we.new.the.moon and we're also on Twitter at we knew the moon one. See you next time.